Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. I put up on the board, I put up on a board um, something that I was thinking about. Actually, I thought about it way before the sermon today, so don't think, I wasn't uh, letting my mind wander. But... uh, but but the but what I put up on the board for those of you that are over here in the cheap seats is uh, that there's a line there, and then on the left-hand side of the line are the words defending your faith and religious freedom, and then on the right side of the line it says of the world, and then the question in the middle is kind of where's the line or where's the X? Okay, and what I want you to think about as we as we get into our lesson for today. Is, is to think about that from that perspective. Where is the line between the good cause, if you believe that it's a good cause, some people would say it's not, but I kind of fall to the side that it's a good cause, of defending your faith and religious freedom. That's a good cause. But the question I think that I want you to think about this morning is how far can you go in, in defending your faith and defending religious freedom before you end up almost negating the very thing that religious freedom and your faith stands for in terms of how you go about doing it. And so the question would be, can I do this without falling prey to becoming of the world? We've been talking about that with respect to Jesus, uh, his his assertions, and we'll see it again today, but his assertions that he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not of the world. I'm, and we've been talking about that, how, how, how Jesus's followers, that's you and me, believers, we, we are radically different than the world. Now, we live in the world, which obvious, he says, I live in the, you live in the world. And we talked about that last week, that when Jesus was, is praying for us, he's not praying that we be taken out of the world. Instead, he's praying what? That we be what? Free from or protected from the evil one. The, the evil one in the world. So you're still living in the world. We're not leaving the world. We may be tempted to leave the world. We may be saying, Lord, take me home. When will it be? You know, that may be the case. Okay. But while we're in the world, we're given uh, the privilege of having religious freedom and faith in Christ. And to some degree, because in the world that is to a large degree being persecuted in some sense, resisted maybe is a good word. And it's getting harder and harder in some sense for Christians and the church to stand publicly for what it believes in terms of the faith and then exercising that faith. And the problem is, is that when you're met with resistance against some core things that you stand for and that you believe in, the natural reaction is to go up against those who are up against you. And so my question is, how far can you go in terms of how you handle yourself trying to do this without giving in to this. Does that make sense, the question I'm asking? 
it's hard for me to read your mind, so I need for some of you to do this <laughs> or do this, okay? Yeah, Carl. Carl, by the way, good to see you. We're, we're glad you're here. Yeah, you bet. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay. Uh, you know, you got to stay away from judging others. Just say, here's where I stand. Yeah, yeah, that's a, good, that's a great point. So you devote yourself to your worship life. You know, now Joshua was a warrior, so he went up against the Canaanites and didn't just do it with peace pipes. He was, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty strong in that. Okay, but that's a great point. As for me and my house, I serve the Lord. Okay, yeah, Marty. I think one of one of the easiest uh, examples I can give is how do you react on Facebook? <clears throat> you may post something that is biblical or is a conservative, quote, quote, conservative view that lines up with your faith. Okay. And depending upon how people respond, sometimes you get yay, kudos, you, you know, people agreeing with you, but then other times people will come back with very hateful, ugly, opposing reaction to your, your post. Okay. And it's how, are, how do you respond to that? Do you, you know. just simply let them have their say? And you ignore it, or do you respond in an ugly, in your face kind of thing, or do you try to quote scripture? So it, it, I think that's again, it's where, how do you respond to it? Is is it more of your faith based showing yeah. mercy and grace to them, or are you reacting in a worldly manner of let me slug it back to you? Yeah, aren't you kind of tempted at times to say I'm going to fight fire with fire? You know. You nail me, by golly, I'll, I'll let Annie up and get and nail you, you know. And there's a certain, I think, human satisfaction there. Maybe a little bit of feeling like we're in the Crusades, you know, kind of idea, all right? So that could be, all right? So, so how you respond in social media and to some degree even how you initiate in social media. I mean, sometimes we started it. I know that's happened to me where I, I thought I was being either very witty, brilliant, or whatever it was. And, my, and, you know, it's one of those, at the time, it seemed like a good idea. It was like that. And then there's some sort of reaction that comes back. And then there's the moment of, okay, what are you going to do? And are you going to, are you going to, is what you do reflecting the faith that you're trying to defend or do you move over here and kind of move into a little bit of tit-for-tat or whatever is the way that you do it? Okay? Yeah. We listened. We were out last week. We had grandkids, but we listened to the podcast last yeah. night. And one of the things that one of my pet peeves is to talk about being persecuted. Yeah. And, and I take it very literally in a sense. Do you? I get to go to nobody <laughs> stop that door. Let me, let me into church today. I think we, we get hung up on this persecution, and I think we're wrong okay. in this country, at least at this point. Yeah. We can free, we are free. Sure. And when I was hearing the comments, there's nothing in our faith, and then you talked about the, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. Right. So if we, if we keep our, our thoughts and our comments there, mm -hmm. I think that'll keep us out of the world, and mm -hmm. maybe somebody might say, oh, Maybe they'll listen because I'm not attacking them. Right. So I think we need to focus on those gifts of the spirit that you listed on the paper. Yeah, the fruit, if you can respond in the love, joy, peace, patience, all those kinds of things, okay? 
hopefully there will be people who will say, I don't know how you do that. And that then becomes the opportunity to share the fact that all of those fruit flow out of the hope that we have from Christ. So you have the opportunity, as Peter talks about in his epistle, he, always, he says, be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to, for the reason of the hope that you have. And so when we, because we live in a, in a world where there's a lot of hopelessness or misplaced hope or misguided hope that is not uh, permanent, then when we can respond in a hopeful way. I have a question for you. This was driving me nuts. I had to put my head down. You had to put your head down? I, just, just, I want to knock my head Oh, down. okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, if, we, if we believe, you know, look at the um, fruits of the Spirit, yeah. and we guess believe I should put in the Holy up. Spirit, why are people so fearful? Say, say that again now. I didn't why catch that part. Why are we so fearful? Yeah. If we know what we know, yeah. why are we so, you know, why is there so much fear on the side of Christians? Yeah, that's a good question. It basically says, I'm fearful. Do I want to be fearful? No. You know, so anyway, that's that's my pet peeve. I'm done. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we, uh, we may hold you to that. I don't know. Okay, here, I, I'm going to put them back up here, but now I'm forgetting what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay, there's way too much murmuring going on for me to catch it. Okay, what comes after kindness? What? Goodness. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Self-control. Faithfulness. You know, self-control is the one that everybody says with an exclamation point. Have you noticed that? So I'm going to put that one down here. Put temperance instead of self-control. Does anybody even know what temperance is anymore? I don't, is that, that's kind of a prohibition era word, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, self-control, I, I put that off to the side because, because it takes a lot of control to do it, so. Okay, so that's a great point. That's a great point. That if, if I would wait before I respond to ask the question, is what I'm about to type or say, maybe even think, reflective of this, then maybe that might inform or affect the way I come across. Now, not always, because again, some people are just flat out opposed to Christians. They don't like Christians. And, but sometimes we've earned a little bit of that because in our, again, zeal to do this, we came across in maybe a bit of a smug sort of way. Yeah? In defending our faith, in mm -hmm. First Peter, it says always be prepared to defend your faith, to do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, was, isn't gentleness one of those? So there you go. I'll put gentleness in blue. And you could say that drips of respect, right? Yeah. Okay, Richard? What? One is, I remember uh, when we go through the account where Jesus is being accused of uh, his trial. Yeah. 
he has no response. He is silent. Yeah. And silence is a valid response. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I when I when I think about that, <coughs> I'll say informs my practice is Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Two twenty-three through twenty-five. So again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. You know, when somebody says something stupid, <coughs> don't join even. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> There's so much advice in the Bible. I should read that sometime more, you know. Yeah. That's a scary point. It's a good point. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. This is the good part. Gently instruct people who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. It's not up to me. I am not. Why are you preaching to me right now? That's what I want to know. Why did I bring this up? That's the good. That's the question here. No, this is a really important thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, human nature kicks in, and you know, one of the things that probably is the most untrustworthy is when a human being has a cause. You ever notice that? That when you have a cause and you become zealous for your cause. Sometimes what happens is, is that we begin to think, or we at least act in such a way that other people think that the end justifies the means. That in other words, if I'm gonna defend my cause and be zealous about my cause, if you oppose my cause, I will run you over because my cause is the thing that is most important. Okay, a couple more thoughts and then we can move into our lesson. We actually do have a lesson for today. Let me reassure you of that. Yeah, Lawrence. I have a plaque on my wall that says, Lord, grant me patience, but hurry. <laughs> <laughs> that says it right there, doesn't it? Because if I'm in a hurry, I want something to happen right now, I kind of throw out the, those things right there, don't I? Yeah, Brian. I don't know if I'm capable of being. You what? I don't know if I'm capable of being able to be patient. You're not. We will affirm that, okay? You're not. But see, that's this is the beauty of this. This is the fruit of whom? The Spirit. So you're not. Now, some days may be a little thimbleful, okay? But for the most of us, we're not, I mean, we're not. It's very short-lived even when we can. So the fruit of the Spirit is the God Spirit which is in us working that. If, if there was an evidence, I suppose, of resistance to God's Spirit, it's our own doing. You know, I know I should go there, but there's no fun in going there, right? It's way more fun if somebody sticks you to stick them back and you feel so powerful then when that happens. But again, then we become of the world. That's the point that uh, I think is being made here. Okay, well, we'll leave it up there, and we'll see, uh, we'll see uh, how the conversation continues to go today. All right, let's get into uh, John chapter 18, verse, uh, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, there, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. 
Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? One of the things that really strikes me in this part of the reading is how in charge Jesus is and how he refused to shirk from the path that the Father had laid out for him in his life and the purpose for which he came. And you see that almost immediately here, all right? So the first way you see it, or that I see it, is that Jesus and his disciples, after the Passover meal together, and Jesus is praying for them, all that we talked about in John 17, Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen, does what? He goes out to the place where he and his disciples always went, knowing that Judas would say, well, that's where they always go, and so that's where we're going to go to catch him. If Jesus had wanted to thwart the plan that God had for him, all he had to do was not show up or go somewhere else. Isn't that interesting? Jesus does not shirk from this. He, he, he knows now what, I mean, he knew all along, but, but he is, his, his face is set in some sense. He will not be deterred even though he knows everything that, what he's about to go through, uh, it, uh, how that it, it will affect him. So that's the first thing that really jumps off the, jumps off the page for me. The second thing is, is that, who is it who is the first one to speak when uh, Judas and the soldiers come? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, notice that? He steps out front and he goes to them and he says, who do you seek? Now again, yeah, of course he knew. But the point is, is that he is totally in charge of this. Judas and the, the soldiers think they're the ones that are, that are in charge. They're the ones that are going to assert themselves because that would have been the normal thing. If you go to arrest somebody, especially in the middle of the night, if you're going to go do that, the instinct of that person would be to run. The instinct of that person would be to hide behind the band that he had with him, in this case would be the disciples. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and so he says, who do you seek? The third thing that's really interesting is that when they say we seek Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus says, I am he, 
which again, he doesn't dodge it at all, right? I am he. What's interesting is, is that in that moment when the, when the soldiers hear this, what happens? They draw back and fell to the ground. The, the Greek says they tumbled backwards. Now, what that suggests is that it wasn't like one of those, oh, like that. It wasn't like that. What it was was like a wind grabbed hold of them and pushed them back to where they were before. They tumbled backwards. And you, you think about it from that point of view. What was God's name? God's name is I am, right? And Jesus says, I am he. I didn't look it up, but I suspect that he, he would say, I am. And by using that name, I am, he's not only depicting his own presence as being the one they're looking for, but you're standing in the presence of the power of God himself in that moment. Okay? So uh, some a little interesting notes here. Um, Notice the time of day when they come after Jesus, and what clue do we have in the story of the time of day? They come with lanterns, right, and torches, so we know it's night, all right? Now, what's the significance of that? I mean, okay, it was night, that was the significance, but, but why is that a big deal? Yes, because in Jewish law, they were prevented or they prevented themselves from uh, holding trials at night. So it suggests the illegitimacy of the trial. Now, of course, we know that when they finally brought charges against Jesus, that was totally illegitimate. But that tells you that their intent was to do away with Jesus and they weren't going to let a mere legalities get in the way of it. Okay, much less religious conviction. In their mind, the end justified the means, right? And their, their thought was, it doesn't matter what we do, even if what we do is um, not moral, it doesn't matter, because what's really important from their perspective was, we're going to defend our faith. You notice that? They were defending their faith, misguided as it was. This was still their idea, but the way they went about it put them over here. Make sense? So Peter reacts in the way that we would expect Peter to do, right? You know, Peter, kind of the, the guy. He was going to be the man, and so he reacts. He pulls out his sword, and he cuts off the, uh, uh, the ear of, uh, of the high priest. So Peter is another one who's attempting to do what? Defend the faith and religious freedom, but the way that he does it is what? He makes himself of the world, okay? See how easy it is? I mean, to some degree, I think we, we kind of go, oh, Peter, you know, come on, live with love and joy and peace and all that stuff. I mean, we, we say that, but in the heat of the moment, when your savior or your, your guy is being attacked or the thing that you have put your faith and trust in and you totally believe it and you're thinking, how in the world could someone not believe it? 
right? When it gets attacked and threatened, and maybe somebody's going to take it away from you, it's so easy to think, well, in doing this, I've got to do this. And the problem is, or the question is, I guess, if I do this, go that direction, in what way might I be affecting this in me? And can I end up eroding my own faith because of the fact that I'm going to take matters into my own hands over here as opposed to maybe trusting in God and his plan uh, over here. Okay? So I'm having you just kind of think about those things. Do what? You're surprised he had a sword? Yeah, because they were the uh, Passover and why would he have been carrying a sword? He was, a he was packing. <laughs> <laughs> Not unheard of, right? Yeah, he. I don't know. Did they have licenses in those days? License to carry? I don't. I don't know if they did that. Yeah, it could be. But again, they're going out at night, so maybe that was part of it. And we're not told if the other disciples had. Uh, at concealed weapons as well. We don't know, right? They may have, you know. Two swords. They had two swords. Jesus asked him, and they said they had two swords, and he said it's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah, I, I don't know where the, where the verse is. I have to look it up. I've read it several times. You know better than to quote a verse in here and then not tell us where it is. That's, <laughs> I'm the only one that gets to do that. So, yeah. But somebody maybe can look that up. Yeah. But again, uh, even if he was not the only one who had a sword, he was the only one who took action. Okay. And in some sense, can't we admire that? I mean, you know, I mean, think about Peter. He was the guy that got out of the boat and walked on the water, and nobody else would. Now, you know, I've talked about this before. I have great empathy for the guys that stayed in the boat. Okay. Because somebody had to make sure the boat didn't sail off and then... They have a long walk. Okay, so I, you know, that's, that's where I come at this from, that point of view. But, but still is, if, if, of all of them that were bound to do it, it was going to be Peter. Right? And yet, Jesus rebukes Peter time and time again because he said, Peter, you're doing and you're thinking and you're talking over here. And my kingdom is over here. But if I'm over here, Jesus says, I'm the one in charge. If you're over here, then you're taking matters into your own hands. That's the way the world thinks. And that's the way the world operates. And he is saying to his disciples now in action, he's saying, you're not of the world. You're radically different than the world. And maybe we're seeing that more. Okay, maybe that's it's the thinking of the world that we're seeing how Christians are different from that. Okay, uh, let's see. Okay, so then Jesus says at the at the very last part of this uh, section, he says, "Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me?" So this reference to the cup, there were kind of two ways that that uh, uh, the disciples looked at the word cup. Uh, one way was to to think of it as the cup of blessing, 
and the other one was the cup of suffering. Okay, so you remember that uh, account. Let's go back to the next page in Matthew 20. Remember one time the disciples, they're walking around and, and then uh, the mother of James and John comes up and says, Lord, you know, when you come in your kingdom, grant these two sons of mine, one at your left and one at your right. And then Jesus says to them, you know, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they're thinking the cup of blessing that when Jesus comes in his glory, whoever is at the left or the right hand of the, of the king in his glory, will be kind of the right-hand man, the left-hand man. They'll have a lot of power. They'll have a lot of authority. Okay, that's what they were thinking. And so then Jesus says, can you drink the cup? And then they say, oh, yeah, of course we can. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, you're going to drink the cup, right? But it's the cup of suffering. It is not the cup of blessing. So that's the, that's the, the, the reference that's given here, all right? What also is mentioned in Matthew but not mentioned in John is that when they take Jesus away, then Matthew 26, 56 says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, that word deserted is not just that they, uh, in a proximity way or a geographical way, that they left Jesus. They deserted him in their heart. So in that moment, in the heat of the moment where Peter I'm going to protect you and die doing it. Eventually, he has to put the sword away, and then now there's nothing there to protect or to stop what's happening. And so the disciples, in their fear, someone mentioned fear earlier, in their fear, what did they do? They fled. And so that says a lot, too, about that as well, is that when we give ourselves over to doing things the way the world does, that one of the byproducts of that is fear. Now, it's not to say that Christians don't experience fear. Of course we do, because fear or being afraid is a human emotion. But the idea of giving into the fear is really what's talked about here. They deserted him and then gave into the fear by doing what? Abandoning Jesus. Now he's all by himself. Okay? With me so far? Yes. It was right after uh, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him before the rooster crows three times. Mm -hmm. And in the next verse, he said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. So that's very good. Thank you for sharing that. No, that's all right. I mean, they took him literally. They had, there were two swords, and he said, That's enough. And then Peter pulls out one of them, and Jesus says, That's enough, right? So that's very interesting. That's, I hadn't ever, I, I don't know, you know, you read stuff a million times and then somebody brings it up in class and in a kind of preachy voice, they read it out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's what that, and what's the uh, reference? Uh, uh, 25, 
2238. We can look at that. Everyone this week, I want you to study that, and then uh, we won't mention it next week. So <laughs> that's, that's really, that's, that's, it. that's interesting, given the context of this. Yeah. Yes, I had, had never thought about that. Okay, well, let's go to verses 12 to, to 14. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Do you remember that reference? We saw that earlier in John where the Pharisees were and the, and the scribes and the Sanhedrin were gathered together to figure out how do we get rid of Jesus. And they're talking about, you know, different ideas of how we would do that. And uh, there's much debate among, among the group. And that's when Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he spoke up and he actually, turns out, was uh, delivering a prophecy. Even though he didn't think of it at the time that way, but John references that as a prophecy that it was, in fact, God's plan. That one person die for the sake of everybody. Now, in that spiritual sense, that's what we're talking about. What they were talking about was the fear that Jesus would create an insurrection and then you would have all of these uh, people w- would rise up and revolt against Rome, and then Rome, the Roman army would come in and squash everybody and take away the, the uh, privilege that, uh, and the status that the religious authorities had. So, so they were only thinking in terms of what? This, but this. That's, what, that's where they were motivated from, of the world. We don't want to lose the standing that we have created for ourselves and the privileges that go with that. That's all about of the world. But it's interesting that that prophecy came out of that. So a couple notes there. Annas had served as high priest from years 6 to 16, and he was known as the patriarch of the house of Annas. The leader of the Sanhedrin came from his family uh, all the way through year 66. So this was a family dynasty, you know, a lot of times people today talk about family dynasties in, in the political sense. Well, this was very much a family dynasty in terms of the religious. But you wonder how much of it re- was religious and how much of it was actually political, given the way that uh, they ran their, uh, their world that day. And then Caiaphas, who was high priest, he served from years 18 to 36. So he was right at the time when... Uh, when Jesus was arrested. Okay, so let's go to verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them and warming themselves. So notice one of the things that's kind of characteristic of John is that he doesn't identify himself as John. He doesn't say, and I went in there. 
But the assumption is, and tradition holds, and almost every commentary that I've read on this assumes that John is the one who was uh, the other disciple. And so apparently he was known within the circles of the, uh, of the high priest and kind of seen as somebody who was not a threat. And so he kind of follows in with the group, is allowed to go into the courtyard uh, with the group. And then he, because he knows Peter, he talked to the person at the gate and said, he's okay, let's let him in, okay? And so then Peter comes in. And so then there is that first moment when Peter has the opportunity to courageously speak for Jesus and his own relationship with Jesus. And again, heat of the moment. Can you relate to him, heat of the moment? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're kind of hard on Peter many times. But, but I think that in, in the heat of the moment when you're surrounded by people who have an accusatory tone, right? And you're by yourself. That's one of the things that's kind of uh, telling here is that Peter is by himself. Yeah, John's there, but we don't know where exactly John was. Peter is standing there in the midst of the enemies of Jesus, and he gets sifted by, uh, by that moment. Okay, go to verse 19. By the way, I'm kind of going through this, but if, if you have any question or anything like that, please feel free to, to uh, raise your hand. Okay. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Then Jesus answered, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So why would the bearer of truth be struck? Do people not appreciate hearing the truth? Why not? If the truth sets you free, if the truth is the answer to what you need in life. Because it doesn't agree with your truth. The truth doesn't always agree with my truth. Mm -hmm. And it's very popular today for people to be very focused on my truth. Because frankly, if I reject the truth, then I still kind of need a truth. So I'll create my own truth, kind of based on how I feel about things or what I think is my reality. How many of you have, um, are blessed enough to have someone in your life who will tell you the truth? <laughs> Come on. Everyone should raise their hand right now. And when that person tells you the truth, what is your normal response? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> what, oh, I vaguely heard that. What yes. is it? Yes. The proper response is yes, dear. Yes, that's dear. The one, that's the one I always give. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's always right. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. So what, what is it that's so hard about the truth that 
makes us think that we are reluctant to hear it. Pride. Hmm? Pride. Yeah, it does expose us, doesn't it? Kind of. We we. I think sometimes we kind of think um, that we can get away with it, whatever you know, whatever it is, or that we think that. Um, uh, whatever is the projected image that we want to give off to somebody about who we are and how we are and that kind of thing, that, that that's why we need people in our lives to be the ones to come and tell us the truth. It's a little bit like that, uh, what's that fable of the emperor's new clothes? You know, the child says, he's buck naked. You know, I mean, that's kind of what that is, isn't it? And then, and then everybody goes, yeah, he is. You know, but, but it's amazing how often... The projected image that we give off, even though everybody knows the truth, they go along with the image, partly, I think, because nobody wants anybody coming back to them and saying, well, what about you? Right? Yeah. I have come to realize that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. We interpret the world based on our experiences sure. that we've had in our life. And when someone points out the truth, mm -hmm. what they're doing is rocking your world. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're 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 showing you that your interpretation of the world is not what you thought it was. And I and I think that's the toughest thing about hearing the truth yeah. because it, it doesn't it doesn't jive. Yeah. That's probably why initially the reaction is one of, you know, rejection or some sort of denial of some kind. But if you give yourself the chance, like later, to kind of think about it a little bit, you might conclude that, well, you know, actually that person was speaking truth to me. So when that person, when you realize that, okay, it would be a great idea for you to actually go back to that person and thank that person for for having the courage to kind of go, you know, drill through that projected image that you have and to be willing in, in maybe love and respect for you to share with you that very thing. And so that would be a good, that would be a great little thing to do because um, it takes a lot of courage or maybe it just takes somebody who's fed up with you. I don't know which one that is, right? But, but that they would finally do that. And, and out of concern for you, would say, this is what you really need to see about in yourself and about yourself. Okay? So anyway, so Peter that first time uh, denies, uh, denies that. And notice what Jesus is doing with his enemies. He's forcing them to consider the fact that he is, he is the, the source of truth, he is the truth, but he's not going to resort to this as a way of defending himself in terms of the cause that he stands for. That we can learn from that. And how does Jesus handle this when clearly he's being railroaded? See, clearly, this is not a fair trial. This is not justice. Injustice is being done to him, if you think of it from a legal perspective. And yet, in that moment, he trusts in his father. And he knows if his father really didn't want this to happen, then all the angels in heaven would come in, swoop in, wipe out everybody, and Jesus would be standing there by himself. He knows that. He trusts that. 
But while he's trusting it, it isn't happening. What is about to happen is continuing to happen. Okay? And yet Jesus does not resort to that in order to achieve this. Okay? Well, let's keep going at the bottom. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, he said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Like there it is, an eyewitness account, right? And Peter again denied it. And then what happens? At once the rooster crows. And we know the story, how Jesus had said, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And in another reference, uh, Peter hears that. And he, he, uh, he leaves, okay? So, again, the, the uh, little detail here in terms of the rooster. Um, uh, several years ago, I went on a, uh, a pastor uh, sort of mission trip, I guess you could call it, a training, a training trip, to Latvia. And one of the things I noticed was, was that many of the church spires in Latvia have a rooster on the very top. Now, not a real rooster. Okay, it's a it's a sculpted metal rooster, and that's part of the lightning, you know, rod that and a weather vane and all that. It achieves that. But I was asking why why is that? Because some of the churches had crosses on top, and uh, some of the churches had uh, had roosters on top. And what I was told was was that the Catholic churches, the Catholic cathedrals all have crosses, and the Protestant churches have roosters. And so one of the ways that you could tell which church you're going into, because they all kind of look like the same on the outside because they're all cathedrals, and they don't have like a big giant church sign that says, you know, uh, Messiah Lutheran Church in front of it, is that you could tell by the spire. And so I said, well, where did that come from? And here's what's interesting about this, is that when the Soviets came in and invaded Latvia, back in the day. Anybody who could have explained why roosters were on the spires was either um, died or that story was squashed. And so nobody knows. Now, I asked around. I'm talking to Latvian guys and and, uh, uh, pastors there. and, And so there's conjecture about that. And the conjecture is based on this story that Seeing the rooster is either a call to repentance, to remind people to repent of their faith, like Peter repented of his faith when he, when he heard the rooster crow, or it's the idea of be ready for the uh, end times, be ready for judgment day, because a rooster is designed to do what to you in the morning? Wake you up. Yes, wake you up. And so... If you've ever grown up around chickens, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. When I was a kid, uh, we, uh, we, we, of course, we lived over in Fort Worth, kind of in a little suburb area. And my dad, who had grown up on a farm uh, in Oklahoma uh, as pastor's kid, he thought that it would be a great experience for us to have chickens in our uh, growing up. And so we had this old greenhouse in the backyard and he said, well, we'll just convert it into a chicken pen. And so on Easter, he went to the farmer's market the day before Easter, and he bought 32 chicks. 
and 31 of them turned out to be roosters. <laughs> and so the plan was that we would, you know, be able to hunt for eggs and how great that will be. Well, then 31 of them turned out to be uh, roosters. And so what would happen is, is that in the, in the nighttime, because we lived on a hill, cars would drive up the hill and their headlights would shine in the backyard and the roosters would start crowing uh, in the middle of the night because they thought, well, it's sunlight. sunlight. And uh, so anyway, we had 31 chicken dinners. It was awesome. <laughs> and then he went and bought some hens. And so we got to have that experience. But, but uh, anyway, that's a little side note on this, that this is a- in actuality. And there may be other areas of Europe where, Eastern Europe, where this is the case. But, but that really struck me about the, uh, uh, the, the imagery of a rooster really would, if you know this story of Peter uh, disowning Jesus, that what a powerful image that would be of repentance as well as watchfulness for, uh, for, the, for the morning. Okay, we have a few minutes left here. Let's go to verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against against this man? They answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So a couple of things, and, and again, you can just see how this is playing out, okay? They were so concerned about whether or not they would be able to keep from defiling themselves in order to eat the Passover, right, that they refused to enter the governor's house. Oh, we can't do that. That's unclean. That, they're not believers. They're pagans. We can't go into his house. So, so the thinking is, while we're doing something that we think defends the faith, but we're doing it out of the world perspective, we still think that we have standing with God in order to eat the Passover. And because we want to do it, we're not going to defile ourselves. Do you see a little hypocrisy in this story? Yeah. How easy it is to lose sight of one thing because you're trying to achieve something else. And they had given themselves over totally to that. Uh, Another thing that sort of jumps off the page is Pilate is asking a direct question. What is the charge? And what is their answer? They, it is. They go politically correct. Right? That's right. See, but they don't specify the charge. They don't, they, they're not prepared to, to have Pilate even question their judgment. And in fact, Pilate says, well, then judge them by your own law. And that's when they reveal their true intent, which is, well, we want to have him killed. Yeah, Bob. I <laughs> The priests were trying to keep their hands clean. Yes. They had no trouble at all stoning Stephen. Right. No. So they wanted to put the blame on the Romans. That's right. That's right. Again, it how easy it is to sell your soul. 
for the sake of something that you think is right. And when somebody points out the truth of what it is, well, we'll just kill you. We'll kill you too. And you think, wow, what, uh, in what way did they forfeit a real spiritual life with God? Wow, that's pretty sobering when you think about that. Okay? All right, let's go to the next page. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that, and I, that, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. But for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, now, now the full story, the story comes full circle. Now we know, why did Jesus say to Peter, put your sword away? And then go about healing Malchus' ear. Why did he do that? Because his kingdom is not of this world. And, and see, he's testifying before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, then if one of his own followers pulls out a sword and defends in a worldly way to stop the very thing that God brought him into the world in the first place from, from happening then there could be a legitimate charge against Jesus by saying, oh, yes, it was of the world because look what your follower did. But Jesus reiterates, my kingdom is not of this world. And to prove it, I tell my disciple, my number one guy, to put his sword away, and I heal the wound that he caused. See, again, Jesus... He's, he's absolutely determined that what is about to happen is going to happen. And all along the way, there's opportunities for him to get out from underdoing it. For him to renege, so to speak. For him to save his own skin. For him to, to, to go against what the Father had laid out for him to do in terms of his, of his purpose. But if he did that, he'd be selling his own soul and dooming us to damnation. And Jesus in his love for us says, I'm not going to do it. So we're going to pick it up next week with uh, Pilate's question, right? What is truth? Everybody and his brother wants to know that now, right? And some people say, well, there is no truth, so we don't have to worry about it. Okay, let's uh, play with that a little bit this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. Not only in telling us the story of the love you have for us in sending Jesus to be our Savior, but then making us kind of think about how we live that each and every day of our lives. And Lord, sometimes it's just hard to do that. There's so much reactivity in the world today. People are, are uh, uh, sort of crazy in love with, with the positions that they're taking on certain things politically and, and uh, with justice and racially and, and religiously and, and all those things. And 
These are loud noises that are in the world and, that, and they're in our ears. Help us, Lord, to find the refuge that we need in you, the truth, and in your word, the truth. And then help us to live that each day so that others can see and, and notice in how we live and how we respond that the truth that we have through the love that you have for us really actually makes a difference. And that at the end of the day, it's the thing that matters the most, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. So watch over us this week. Be with, be with those that are listening to our podcast uh, to, uh, this week. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you give us opportunity to, as we walk with you and as we walk with each other, to live the hope that others can see that hope in us. Watch over us, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.